Blog Talk Radio. You are listening to Countdown to Kickoff. I am your host, Anthony Denmark, Denmark Life the Country, a.k.a. Copenhagen, a.k.a. Denny. And this episode is brought to you by EatDrinkSleepSports.com. And since sports never stops, since sports never sleeps, that means we always have something to talk about. And since Mason's back, heck, I'm back, you're back, let's go ahead and discuss the latest happenings in the world of college sports. Let's get it. And welcome, 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 welcome to Countdown to Kickoff. I'm your host, the one and only Anthony Denmark, Denmark like the country, and as usual, since sports never stops, since sports never sleeps, that means we always have something to talk about, and tonight is definitely no different. Uh, we have a lot of things on tap for today's show. Uh, we're going to be previewing uh, week eight, some under-the-radar matchups that used to be big games, but for some reason aren't big games anymore. Uh, we're also going to talk about the Heisman. You know, at this particular point in the season, everybody starts releasing their midseason All-American teams. I've called out a couple of experts questioning the absence or the addition of certain players. Uh, we're also going to uh, look back at some past Heisman winners, and we know their names, but I think we may have actually forgot how dynamic some of these guys were. In addition to that, also, we're going to be uh, specifically uh, talking about the perfect fit. You know, when you look at college football now, I mean, the success of a program is based off of finding a perfect union uh, between a head coach and a program. And if, in fact, you're able to find a good fit oftentimes enough, you know, things thrive. However, when, in fact, you're unable to find a good fit, you know, things can be difficult. You find yourself going through a trial separation, and then eventually you end up finding yourself going your separate ways. And just like that, of course, happens in marriage, which I believe the divorce rate is now at 75%, uh, the divorce rate in college football between college football programs and head coaches is also going up as expectations grow. Uh Patience has begun to warp in, and uh, people, for some reason, find themselves no longer living in reality, but expecting uh, their program to do great things. Uh, Thus far this season, uh, we've seen two coaches go. We saw Les Miles go from LSU. We also saw uh, Coach Hazel also leave uh, from Purdue, of course, being fired. Uh, Nevertheless, like I said, it's all about goodness of fit. Now, of course, Thursday night, if, in fact, you do actually want to watch quality football like myself, you find yourself tuning in to college football. No offense, NFL. I'm just not really thrilled about watching Chicago and Green Bay. Uh, nevertheless, unless it's Thanksgiving. Uh, nevertheless, you know, um, we saw two great programs, programs that used to be proud, programs that used to be dominant, now entering into new eras. Uh, Force Miami with uh, Mark Rick, who came home. And you can say that that's probably a good fit thus far. Of course, they are going through their struggles. And we also, of course, saw Josh Wente from um, Memphis to Virginia Tech. And it seemed as if that's also been a great fit. Uh, And it seemed as if, you know, 
that's the most difficult part about finding a job is finding a good fit. Because at the end of the day, you know, you're going to get your paycheck every two weeks. You're going to get your salary. But is it going to be an environment where you're going to be able to thrive and grow in? And those are factors oftentimes that have a significant impact on your ability to want to be able to put in those extra hours or are you ultimately find yourself becoming a guy who's looking at the clock and right when the clock strikes 12, you're out the door. So, you know, we're going to be talking about today about goodness of fit. We're going to be talking, of course, that means we're going to be talking about some coaches that are currently on the hot seat and also comparing it to some of the best marriages between college coach and college football programs that we've seen thus far. I know for many people will presume that the perfect union, the perfect marriage, was between Alabama because they've won all those championships. But one interview, you realize that's not the case. I think the best marriage so far between a college football program and a coach resides in Iowa with her, with Coach Prince, uh, who, of course, wins just enough not to get fired and every now and then has a tendency to do just good enough to be able to uh, surprise us from time to time, which we, of course, witnessed uh, last season. Another perfect union is a Bob Stoops down in Oklahoma. Of course, the Florida boy, of course, not born and raised in uh, Oklahoma, but he, of course, has embraced Oklahoma roots coming from Ohio, and it seems like a perfect union. He can honestly say that regardless of how bad or how disappointing they are, that he's going to remain there. So perfect union, perfect marriage. Sometimes the things work and sometimes they don't. Right now, of course, we have a big game coming up with Kent State. They're taking on Ohio State. And this game would be hype, but, you know, maybe we don't have a perfect marriage. So to find out about Kent State, to find out is this the right union and do they have a chance against Ohio State, let's go ahead and get the caller on the line. His name is? Shane Lunen, he writes for the VictoryBellRings.com to find out what he thinks about the union between James Franklin and We Are Penn State. Welcome to the show. Hey, thank you, Anthony. Thank you for having me on the show. Absolutely. Uh, now, of course, I want to – we have a lot of things that we're going to talk about, of course, with Penn State. Uh, first off, I opened the show specifically talking about, you know, sometimes the success of a program is based off of finding a good fit. Now, we do know that James Franklin is from the Pennsylvania area, but thus far, uh, his, during his time in Penn State, he's now had an overall record of 18 and 14. Has it come to a point now, I mean, well, can we conclude that is this a good union or is it time for them to possibly go their separate ways and explore other options? Well, I'm, I'm going to be on the probably minority of 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 the of the Penn State fan base, but I, I think right now you have to look at it as with all the sanctions that have happened um, with the program and everything, it's more like year one for for James Franklin, and he's he's been recruiting very well. He's an excellent recruiter. I don't think there's any question about that. He brought that over from his days at Vanderbilt in Maryland, uh, but I, I think uh, he's he just needs at least another year. Um, to really start the gauge of where he's going to take Penn State as a program, if he's going to remain there. I think right now, uh, you know, we'll get into the Penn State-Ohio State talk, uh, but I, I think he has it moving in the right direction. Um, I think a lot of the fan base doesn't think that, but, um, you know, like I said, I was in the minority with that. But I think he does have it in, going in the right direction. It might not be perfect, but I think he's good for the program right now. 
Absolutely. Now, of course, you know, a patience used to be a virtue, but, you know, of course, right now in this day and time, you know, patience is something that very few people wear. It's not vogue. It's not fashionable. It's not something that people uh, have anymore these days. Uh, but, um, you know, you definitely did bring up some reasons, some, I mean, some good reasons of why things have kind of gone as slow as it has due to the sanctions. Uh, but nevertheless, I mean, I really look at this game between Ohio State, I believe, with James Franklin. He's won the games he's supposed to, but we needed, we needed him to be the ranked team. Thus far, in his whole entire career, he has yet to be a ranked opponent. Now, you know, you look at this game, the offensive line for uh, Penn State is improving steadily. Uh, Saquon Barkley ran for over 202 yards against Maryland, but let's be real, Shane, we knew that they were going to beat Maryland. Uh, what do we? What should be the signs of progress, other than just a win? Should we be looking for in this matchup with Ohio State? Well, I mean, you, you talk about the offensive line. I mean, right now they they lost Andrew Nelson, who arguably was their best um, the lineman up front. Uh, so they have to replace him uh, with uh, um, uh, on the on the right tackle side. So what they have right now is. Um, Going into that, they have uh, Brandon Mahan, so they flipped him over from the left tackle spot to to the right tackle, and and they they plugged in uh, junior college transfer uh, Paris Palmer. He's in his second year, and 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 Palmer's okay, but he is he's not the best. So I think they're going to have some trouble on that left side, and I don't think James Franklin is afraid to um, burn the red shirt of their of their uh, true freshman uh, Will Fries on that side of the line too. If Palmer gets into trouble, they're going to have a lot of trouble in that. Uh, left side of the line with uh, Ohio State's rush, um, but I think they can improve. They have improved over, as you said, over the last couple weeks, um, especially against Maryland. But you know that was Maryland, and uh, they hadn't been tested to that point. So maybe we were supposed to win that game. They did well. I thought okay against Minnesota. They they you know gutted out a tough win against Minnesota in overtime. Um, the improvements have been, you know, are gradual over time with that offensive line. But as soon as they, and I guess particularly against Maryland, they started to use uh, Trace McSorley and Saquon Bartley in that run pass option a lot more. And and once you introduce uh, McSorley with his with his legs, you know that that adds another element to thing that the defense has to plan against. So using both of them. It, it could be key. Whether that's going to work against Ohio State, I don't know because they are very talented up front on the defense. There's there's talent across the board on both sides for Ohio State. Absolutely. Of course, we do know that they're not on Penn State, and I guess one of the excuses that uh, James Franklin, of course, he doesn't make excuses that was made for their struggles was due to the fact that Hackenberg really was not a good fit in the offense. Now, of course, McSorley has improved this season, He's coming off a pair of an impressive uh, two games in which he averaged 243 yards for passing, 73 yards rushing, which is amazing, five touchdowns. However, you know, he's still improving. He's still a first-time starter. He, uh, of course, has a 48 uh, passer rating. But let's be real, man, that's actually a whole lot better than the guy who's supposed to be a Heisman front runner in J.T. Barrett, who I picked to win the Heisman. Uh, how do you see defensive coordinator – uh, Brent Pry, uh, a creative game playing against uh, J.T. Barrett, who it seems as if nobody's respecting his ability to throw at this particular time in the season. Yeah, it, it's it's going to be tough. Um, 
against, especially with uh, our linebackers out. We still, Jason Cabinda and Brandon Bell were practicing this week. Uh, it's, it remains to be seen whether they'll get any playing time. Getting those guys back would be huge for the Penn State defense. Uh, you know, they, they, they were banged up earlier in the season. We're, we're using a lot of young, really young guys. Uh, Brandon Smith, actually, you know, a senior with junior eligibility, he actually has been plugged in there is getting his first start. He's actually been really key to that middle linebacker position. Um, but we have a lot of young guys at linebacker, and I, I think JD, JT Barrett, he has uh, the Ohio State offense in general, but the last couple of weeks they have kind of struggled a little bit, especially against Wisconsin. But Wisconsin's defense, is a, is, you can't compare that to Penn State's defense right now because right. it's just apples and oranges. Um, but – I, I don't think Penn State has the firepower or the, the, the defensive schemes to really uh, hem in J.T. Barrett with his legs. They normally, Penn State's defense the last couple seasons have done a lot better against his pass, pure passing, yeah, excuse me, pure pocket passer quarterbacks, and, uh, and that's not J.T. Barrett. And so if they don't um, get to him, he's going to beat them with their legs. So they have to make – they have been improving over the last couple of weeks. We'll get to, you know, talking about tackling. That has been a, a key problem for them over the first six weeks. Um, but they have been improving gradually over that. So they have to just make sure when they have him, they have to get him down to the ground. They cannot let him go make any plays with his legs because he'll burn them all night. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm on the line with Shane. He covers the Penn State. Uh, we are Nittany Lions. I can't believe I forgot the, the mascot. Uh, the Nittly Lions, uh, for VictoryBellRings.com. Now, we don't like to think in the case of moral victories, but, of course, you know, Penn State, of course, would love to get a W. But if, in fact, what should we be able to look what – what should we be able to pinpoint to see that, hey, this program is actually progressing and growing if, in fact, Penn State finds himself losing this game? Well, I, I mean, I think – you got to look at it. I mean, we had earlier in the season you had you had Penn State just go up to Ann Arbor and get absolutely outclassed all all across the field. And I know that was on the road. And now we're coming back home, and it's a, a night game in Happy Valley, whiteout. Everything is gonna, you know, that usually tends to you know favor a little bit more on on the on the for Penn State's side. Uh, but if they can get if they can keep close in the in the, in the first half. And, and just keep it close and keep it a lot closer to Michigan. I think my prediction is right now they, they will keep it close in the first half and, and, and tend, you know, hang with Ohio State. Maybe not, you know, you know be, take a lead or anything like that, but at least hang in there, keep it with a touchdown, field goal, whatever, by halftime. If they end up losing the game at the end, that's what, I, that's what I'm predicting will happen. Um, I think as long as it's close, closer than that Michigan blowout, um, keep it within the spread. The spread, I think, is 20 points. If they can keep it under that, I think that would be a, a great improvement for this team. And if you look at their schedule moving ahead, they, I mean, the, you said they're, you know, moral victories. But if you look at their schedule ahead, you can take that as a building block. Hey, we kept up with this number two team in the nation. Did a lot better than we did against Michigan on the road. And, and looking at the last five games of the season – they should be favored in a lot of those games, especially when you look down the road with Michigan State struggling, Iowa not as good, um, taking a step back this year, um, and then they have uh, Rutgers, who's 
just Rutgers. So, uh, <laughs> um, it, it, I, I think they can they can build off uh, you know a little bit of a moral victory if you want to call it that. I don't predict Penn State winning this game. Uh, it would be awesome if they did, uh, but I, I, I think keeping it close uh, within the uh, under twenty points would be the would be a step in the right direction for this program. Absolutely, I can definitely say that if in fact they're able to finish the season nine and three, we can definitely uh, guarantee that the hot seat would be more than just cool. Uh, but if, yeah, in fact, yeah. they find themselves losing games that they're not supposed to lose, there is this guy out in the Midwest who has ties to the Big Ten who happens to have an undefeated team who happens to be kind of the flavor of the week. I mean, you got the guy down in Houston and Tom Herman, and it's this guy that rows the boat down in western Michigan. I mean, could you see him possibly uh, – being uh, interested in the Penn State job and could you see them possibly exploring uh, the possibility of uh, going to Kalamazoo? And, I mean, he's only making $800,000 a season. So, I mean, that could be a possibility. What do you think about that? Uh, I mean, sure, anything's possible. Um, but I, I really think right now, I mean, it's – and it, sometimes, they, you know, with the media, they, they keep on hammering with the same question for, you know, particularly earlier this season, you know, at, uh, after the Michigan loss and then even after the Minnesota win, um, athletic director Sandy Barber got asked, what, you know, what is going, what's up with James Franklin's job, and she had to give him that vote of confidence. You know, she's not going to come out and say, you know, I'm firing the coach. But um, it's I, – I really think she's going to stick – with James Franklin um, at least through the 2017 season. I think he gets another year for sure, unless he completely tanks and bottoms out the rest of the, this season. Uh, I, I, P.J. Fleck, up-and-coming coach, can probably go to any you know big-time program. There could be an opening at Notre Dame. There's an opening right now at LSU. Um, he's going to probably have to fight Tom Herman for that job, uh, especially now that Houston uh, – you know, it's not going to get into the Big 12 as they kind of put the Knicks on the expansion for now. But um, I, I think right now James Franklin is going to be at Penn State at least through another season, maybe two, depends on what happens in the next couple uh, this at the end of this season and, and going into the next season. Absolutely. I want to thank you for coming on to the show. Of course, one of the reasons why we love college football because – Anything can happen on any given Friday, Thursday, Saturday, or whenever the heck they play a game. Thank you for coming on to the show, and I definitely uh, want to have you on throughout the season because we do know that there's still a lot of college football to play. All right. Thank you very much, Anthony. Absolutely. Now, of course, you know, again, I want to thank Shane for coming on. Uh, he, again, is a writer for VictoryBellRings.com, uh, covering the Penn State Nittany Lions. Now, of course, you know, we are at the midseason. And so at this particular point, a lot of things can change. A lot of programs find themselves at this particular point excited at the prospects of saying that, hey, we only have to win four or you know, four more games in some cases to be able to become ball eligible. However, we do know that ball eligibility is not what it used to be. Being ball eligible did not mean that that was enough for you to be able to secure your job, to be able to, of course, extend that lease or decide to own instead of renting, because we do know that fortunes do change based off the expectations uh, set forth by the program, by the boosters, and also, of course, by the fans. Now, of course, one of the things that Shane did mention 
is he mentioned Notre Dame. Now, I was going to have a caller on the line, but, you know, your boy didn't, Mark. I can do this talk just fine by myself. And, of course, Notre Dame finds itself. Get this. I was looking at statistics. Notre Dame is the third worst team in the state of Indiana. Think about that. Indiana right now, Indiana University, of course, led by Coach Wilson, is currently 3-3. Three three. Purdue, which fired their coach, is also currently sitting at 3-3. Three and three. But what is Notre Dame's record currently sitting at? 2-5. and five. And this season has definitely been one to forget for Brian Kelly. It's been one where many people have begun to question his acumen as a coach. People have questioned his demeanor and his behavior on the sideline. In addition to that, people have pretty much questioned if, in fact, you know, is this the guy that you is truly to be a leader of men? Nobody questions his football IQ, but uh, after the game against North Carolina State, many people now find themselves putting that as a question. Again, like I said, this has definitely been a season to forget for Brian Kelly. I mean, it's unexpected unexplainable reasons for being able to pull Deshaun Kaiser and putting in Malik Zaire, who hadn't got any type of run time in any of the other seven games, and expecting him to provide a spark was something that was questioned by everybody, even by Deshaun Kaiser himself. In addition to that, the, how he handled the situation with the defensive coordinator, who, of course, now is no longer employed there, but, of course, is still getting paid there. And, of course, you know, his demeanor on the sideline has been downright unacceptable. Now, of course, you know, this week we still found recruits that decided to sign on the dotted line at this particular point and commit verbally to Notre Dame. But we do know that those verbal commitments can change based off of the fortunes of the program. And at this particular point in the season when we talked about Notre Dame, we also talked about them in high regard. But, you know, I feel like I'm giving Notre Dame a bad rap. So let's go ahead and get Trey. He covers the Notre Dame Fighting Irish to find out, hey, what's up with Ryan Kelly? What's up with Notre Dame? Is it a good fit? Or is it time for them to go their separate ways? Let's get them on the line. Welcome to the show. Hey, Anthony. Good to hear you again. Absolutely. Now, of course, you know, I started kind of going in on Notre Dame. This has definitely been a season to forget. I can honestly believe that they are looking forward to being able to look forward to next season because thing, anything that could go wrong, may have gone wrong, did go wrong. Uh, Notre Dame right now sits at 2-5. and five. They have, out of the programs in the state of Indiana, they're currently sitting at the third best program in Indiana, which is completely unacceptable when you consider that Indiana University, Purdue University, all have better records than Notre Dame. Uh, what do you see as being the source of the problem with Brian Kelly? Is, is he the answer? Well, I think probably the common belief is that Brian has hit the proverbial wall, that he probably has achieved the highest ceiling that he's going to achieve at, at probably any any school. Uh, you know, he did he did a great job and I give him, you know, all the all the credit in the world for taking over for Charlie Weiss. Uh after after Charlie hit his wall doing as good as he could, um, from pulling Notre Dame out of the complete doldrums. Uh, the the season we like to all forget in 2007, uh, Charlie pulled us out of that and, and got us back to at least respectability. And then from there, Brian Kelly took over and actually made us 
back into the prominent role that we, we achieved in 2012, going to the national title game and being back in the national picture every single year. But I think the common feeling is that probably a 10, possibly an occasional 11 win season is, is the, is the cusp for Notre Dame under Brian Kelly. And it seems to be probably more, more around the same kind of problems every single year. There, there really is no killer attitude it seems like we don't decide to ever put teams away when we have the chance. Uh, same kind of vanilla play calling once we get a, a, a sizable lead and allow teams to come back and play soft, and that's probably the, the biggest problem that Brian has. It seems like he doesn't really have the desire to be a completely dominant team like uh, schools like Alabama or some of the other SEC schools, the powerhouses, Michigan State, uh, groups like that seems to seem to have year in and year out. Absolutely, of course. You know, uh, the theme of this episode is we're talking about a match made in heaven. I talked about how uh, the success of a college football program is based off of them finding a perfect union between uh, the college football coach as well as the college football program. And like you said, in the early years of the Brian Kelly era, things definitely looked great. I mean, but. Uh, you know, he's got a lot of credit, deservedly so, for being able to rebuild the mess that Charlie White's left. Uh, but uh, nevertheless, I mean, I'm looking at the schedule. I see that they have Miami, Navy, Army, Virginia Tech, USC, all programs that have been really playing at high levels at this particular point. Virginia Tech, of course, beat uh, Miami. And, uh, I mean, Army is doing remarkable things as well as Navy. <laughs> And I'm really having a hard time trying to find another victory, which is unbelievable to say about a proud program, of course, which, of course, has won so many national championships, and, of course, has such a well-known history. I mean, it seems as if the bottom has just fallen out so quickly. I mean, do you see any wins in the, up in the remaining schedule? And is a bowl eligibility in doubt? Well, bowl eligibility probably is a non-starter at this point. I, I would just like uh, to, to see us competitive for the rest of the season. Like you say, there's probably not any games that we're going to be the favorite in, except for maybe Army, uh, that game being played in San Antonio for the, the Shamrock Series. But uh, you're right. I mean, all of the teams on Notre Dame's schedule – seem to be a, a better squad top to bottom. And, and what's really sad about it is that there's no real, there's no reason for that to be the truth. I mean, Notre Dame has, who's probably going to be the number one quarterback in next year's draft in Deshaun Kaiser. We have one of the best wide receiver cores in the entire country. Uh, of course, led by Equinemia St. Brown and, and backed up by Torrey Hunter on the other side. I mean, we have the talent. We have what was supposed to be one of the best offensive lines in college football this year and they can't protect anybody. They can't stop anybody. They can't run with power. They can't pass protect. And it's just a complete mess from top to bottom. What's really sad is the talent's there, but it's not being maximized. It's not being used. And that falls completely on the shoulders of the coaching staff. Absolutely. Of course, again, I'm on the line with Trey. He uh, covers uh, Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Now, with my previous caller, uh, I did pose the question, there is this guy down in the Midwest, has an undefeated team, has a remarkable track record in developing talent. This team is probably on a route to possibly be uh, participating in the, one of the New Year's Six games. Of course, I'm talking about 
uh, Western Michigan's P.J. Fleck, who, of course, now made rowing the boat bold. Could you possibly see him being a good fit with Notre Dame? Uh, I, I don't know that, that he would necessarily be a target. I, what I hear as far as who might be people to replace uh, Brian Kelly, if we could lure uh, Todd Herman out of, out of Texas and bring him up north, uh, there's also been some some rumors of the, well not rumors but some talk about what would happen if we could bring Charlie Strong up to be a, a coordinator again, um, you know try to try to round out a coaching staff, it, and it seems like Notre Dame when they when they make their coaching hire and rightly or wrongly, uh, they seem to go after names, so uh, the head coach of a of a Western Michigan probably wouldn't quite qualify for the the clout that they would be looking for. Not to say that his success is anything to, to sneeze at, but uh, definitely they're probably going to be looking more at a, at a higher profile name, got a guy like Todd Herman. Absolutely. Now, of course, we do know that it's a, a lot of seasons still left to play. And uh, we do know, of course, with the offensive weapons that they do have, uh, they demonstrated this season at times that they can be explosive. So uh, it's definitely going to be something to watch. Uh, of course, their next matchup is against Miami, which, of course, and can't seem to protect their own quarterback. They gave up eight sacks in one game. So maybe there is still promise for uh, a, for promise for this upcoming season for Notre Dame, but we'll definitely find out. I want to thank you for coming on to the show, and I definitely want to have you on throughout the season, hopefully to talk about good things about Notre Dame, and we'll see what happens. Yeah, thanks a lot, Anthony. Now, of course, again, I want to thank Trey uh, for coming on, uh, former writer for One Foot Down, uh, covering the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Uh, but, you know, like I said before, oftentimes when you look at college football, the most successful programs is due to the fact that they have a good union, a good match, things that seem to really go well. There's a give-and-take relationship. However, at times, you know, just like possibly in a marriage, you go through rough times. And if, in fact, you're able to overcome or weather those tough times, you can be better for it. So it's very possible that this is just a tough time uh, that uh, Brian Kelly and the Notre Dame Fire and Irish are going through. But we do know, like I said before, that in college football, patience is definitely something that is downright extinct. It's rare. So as you see your program continue to lose games and you continue to see other programs continue to ascend, you know, you get a little jealous. You begin to think that, hey, maybe my program could do better. Throughout the season, Brian Kelly has ended most post-game conferences by blaming somebody, blaming the defensive coordinator, blaming his players, and also, of course, blaming himself for being unprepared. And of course, you know, we're going to see how this whole thing turns out because I look at the schedule and I can honestly say to myself that I think that the bar has now been set to the point that Brian Kelly will keep his job if he beats Army. But if Brian Kelly loses to Army, which is currently right now playing, very quite possible that both Army, Navy, and Air Force would all be bowl eligible. The, first, the last time that happened, was in 1976. That's a long, long time. I think what Donald Trump was, what, 33 during that time. Uh, but nevertheless, 
we're going to see how this ultimately ends up playing out. That's the exciting thing about college football. It's why we watch it. Although Vegas has the tendency of telling us who is supposed to win, but this past week and week seven, we found out that who's supposed to win does not always mean that you're going to win. We saw that happen with Syracuse, of course, beating um, Virginia Tech, which at that particular point in time and season was ranked number 17. But again, as I say in life, as I say in sports, ladies and gentlemen, we're definitely going to see what's happening. And of course, we're definitely going to see what's up. Now, of course, you know, things that I wanted to talk about on this show uh, was, for me, I'm always thinking ahead. I find myself very rarely being a prisoner of the moment, always chronically thinking about the next game. So while fans, reasonably or unreasonably so, find themselves, you know, patting themselves on the chest or down in the dump based off of the performances of their programs at this particular point in the season at week seven, I, for one, find myself already thinking ahead to the Rose Bowl. You may say, Denmark, why are you thinking about the Rose Bowl? Well, glad you asked. Because we do know that at this particular point, has been down. It's been going down every year. And we do know that although these bowl games are definitely a phenomenal opportunity for players to be able to showcase their talent from the biggest stage, it also provides a wonderful opportunity for these towns that host these bowl games to be able to get a little bread, a little money, which is one of the reasons why LSU refused to play in Florida and forced Florida to have to come to LSU. So I found myself looking at the Pac-12 standards, and I found myself then looking at attendance, and I found myself looking, saying, hoping, and praying that, you know, What's going to happen if this happens? Washington is the flavor of the week. Washington, of course, deservedly so, has played dynamically. But nevertheless, all the great things that you can definitely say about Washington, and there is definitely a lot of them, their average attendance is 61,000 for the first game. And that's great if, in fact, Washington is playing in a Rose Bowl. But what happens if they're playing in the playoffs? Well, ladies and gentlemen, if, in fact, Washington makes the playoffs, the Rose is going to be shedding a lot of tears. Because the one team that, of course, garners the most fan base, garners the most attention, garners the most attendance, is Oregon. But Oregon finds itself ranked all the way down at the bottom in the cellar of the Pac-12. Currently, right now, based off of ESPN's FBI, they said the likeliest teams to find themselves possibly in the Rose Bowl outside of Washington is Washington State, whose average attendance is a little over 29,000. And I don't know about you guys, but when I think about Pasadena, when I think about the Rose Bowl parade, one of the things that I always think about is the pageantry. I think about the fandom. I think about stands being full. And although Washington State, you know, has done a remarkable job under Mike Leach, again, perfect match, match made in heaven, great union between him and Coleman, Washington, they barely get people to come to games. And one of the things you don't want to see is you don't want to see empty seats. 
And don't get me wrong, ladies and gentlemen, Washington State is not alone. Colorado, which is considered to be the third most likely of teams to be in Pasadena, they average 39,000 fans. So you say to yourself, Rose Bowl, of course, you know, they watch these games as well like we do. But unlike us fans who are watching the games thinking about our favorite team, Rose Bowl folks are going to be thinking about filling the seats. And they need, they want, they pray for Washington to lose. Because if Washington loses, then they know that they could breathe a deep sigh of relief because we know that Washington fans travel. And we know that Pasadena will be full. But if Washington does not, and Washington goes to the playoffs, and the Rose Bowl is forced to have to select either Colorado and Washington State, boy, oh, boy, they'll be happy. They'll have a smile on their face. But you know what? There will definitely be empty seats in the stands. So at this particular point, I can honestly tell you that we can say, Rose Bowl, you may have a problem. But, again, things change, fortunes change, teams get hot. I mean, Washington State lost with Division One AA teams. So anything can happen, and we're going to be tuned into it. So Rose Bowl has a problem now, but that problem can be solved. If Stanford saves the day against Colorado, and if things happen like they always do happen, unquestionably, unpredictably in the world of college football. So, again, as I say in life, as I say in sports, ladies and gentlemen, we're definitely going to see what's happening, and, of course, we're definitely going to see what's up. Now, of course, at this time in the season, people are talking about high school. People are comparing to build preppers to Charles Woodson. And I found myself looking at the numbers. Jabril Peppers has 31 tackles, 10 tackles for loss, no interceptions, but two, but one touchdown from a kickoff. And I compared them to the numbers of Charles Woodson. And after looking at those numbers, I said, bro, ladies and gentlemen, but Jabril Peppers to win the Heisman, he has a lot more to do. A lot, lot, lot more to do. As Charles Wilson has seven interceptions, threw one pass for a touchdown. In addition to that, also had one punt return. This dude had dynamic stats, 48 tackles. So it's going to be interesting to watch what happens. I know that the comparisons to Jabril Peppers are easy because they play for the same program. But, hey, man, it's a guy out there in Tuscaloosa by the name of Eddie Jackson, who's just as dynamic, has more punt returns for touchdowns, has a pick six, and may have less tackles at 21. But, of course, as I say in life, as I say in sports, ladies and gentlemen, we're definitely going to see what's happening. We're definitely going to see what's up. Thank you guys for tuning in the countdown to kickoff. Remember to stay tuned to sports. I know I will. Peace. Thanks for tuning in to Countdown to Kickoff. Our show airs live every Tuesday and Thursday at 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. If, in fact, you missed the show, make sure you subscribe to the podcast by typing in count and the number two and down, one word. While you're at it, make sure you also follow the latest happenings in the world of sport with us at Eat, Drink, Sleep, Sports, and the number two. And you know what? If you've gone that far, be sure and check out our website for the latest happenings as well at eatdrinksleepsports.com. Till next time, college sports football fans, stay tuned. I know I will. Peace.
roll, baby, roll. Roll that damn 